All right, and we are here again, and we are back again. As always, I'm Matt. I'm Drew. And this is the Back Again Podcast. This is the only movie sequel review show where we take a sequel from the past, and we find out if, in fact, it is worth going back, dot, 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 again. Nailed it. (laughs) And today, we are doing the follow-up to the 1988 Die Hard, and we are doing Die Hard 2. Die Hard 2 comes out in 1990. It's directed by Rennie Harlan. It has a budget of $62 million and a box office of $240.2 million. It stars Bruce Willis, Bonnie Bedelia, William Atherton, Reginald Vell Johnson, Franco Nero, William Sadler, John Amos, Dennis Franz, and John Leguizamo, but only for two scenes. Yeah, he doesn't even have like a speaking part. No, they just like show his face before he gets shot. Nice. But still, got a paycheck. And he dies. <laughs> Die Hard 2 takes place a year after the events of the first Die Hard, where now Los Angeles detective John McClane is spending the holidays in Washington, D.C. with the in-laws. While waiting for Holly at the airport, John stumbles upon a group of mercenaries who successfully hijack the controls to an international airport. With the safety of Holly's arrival on the line, John must find a way to stop the bad guys, land the planes, and save Christmas. So I think uh, the best way to explain how I feel about this movie is with two quotes from the movie itself, all right? There's a great quote, which is this one. Now you're the wrong guy in the wrong place at the wrong time. Story of my life. And then there is a worse quote, which is this one. Oh man, I can't fucking believe this. Another basement, another elevator. How could the same shit happen to the same guy twice? And they right? both kind of say the same thing. They both kind of say the same thing, and you really only need one of those quotes in the movie, but they give you like every quote. Yeah, it's not even movie. those two. They give us like, how many referential quotes to the first movie are there? Like, not like moments, but just like direct quotes where they actually talk about the events of the past movie. There's at least three or four. Yeah, I think there's exactly three because there's those two that we just gave, mm-hmm. and then there's also Holly at the end. Why does this keep happening to us? And it's like, if I could pick which ones I want, I would take story of my life and why does this keep happening to us? But that that middle quote where he's down in the basement and he goes, How could the same shit happen to the same guy twice? It's like, geez, come on. The movie constantly <laughs> kind of bounces back and forth between those two quotes where it's, we like the self-referential. Yeah. And then we don't like the self-referential because it's too on the nose. Is there any like that much... Because to be fair, there's not that much in general when it comes to sequels. Is there that much originality in this movie? Well, we'll kind of get into it, but it's it's really just the same movie again. It's this, it's Die Hard again, but in an airport. I know, and that's what most sequels are. Yeah, it's this movie, but like, but this. Yeah, even down to like the character traits and stuff. And I don't mind it that it's the same movie because there's still like good stuff in it. Uh, but there's Die just, Hard was a movie that needed a sequel. There's just a little bit extra. Like they didn't know when to stop. Yeah. <laughs> You know what I mean? Which is funny because I feel like that's such a modern problem with movies mm-hmm. is like too much like fan service almost. Yeah. Or at least it's not even fan service. It's like self-reference. Well, even with that line that uh, how could the same thing happen to the same guy twice? Upon doing some research, there's actually different takes of this line. So mm-hmm. when they did the trailer for this. I would imagine there are different takes. Yeah. <laughs> but like different takes that are like shown. It's like a, it's like a featurette of like making of Die Hard 2 and they show this clip. How can the same thing happen to the same guy twice? And it's a very different delivery, especially when you consider the, the take that they use in the movie, which is this. Mm-hmm. How could the same shit happen to the same guy twice? And it's like, who's editing this movie to where, I mean, out of those, I mean, I don't like the line in general, but out of those two delivery, like ways of delivering the line, like that one's way better because he's like in the moment. He's not like stopping and breaking the fourth wall like Deadpool. Yeah. And being like, wink. Yeah. 
not this again. Uh. But when does that moment take place in the movie? Is that right after the first fight? It's after it's after he, he meets like the hothead cop for the first time, whose brother is the guy that gives him the parking ticket mm -hmm. in the opening scene. After that, he's like down in the basement. He's investigating some more because I don't know if he's found the maps yet from... Oh, so it's a few minutes after the first fight. They had the first yeah. fight. They had the release attention, And now he's like back investigating yeah. after they told him to like fuck off. Because he's in the basement. He's walking around and he's just not talking to anybody. Like in the first Die Hard when he's talking... Nailed to both. <laughs> That's what it makes me think of. Like in the first Die Hard when he's talking to himself, he's talking to himself in like really kind of tight situations like when he's in the air duct and yeah. stuff. Whereas in this, he's about to go into a tunnel. He's like, like I said, he might as well just like look to the camera and wink. Well, in the first one, he's talking to himself because he's isolated the whole time. No, yeah, for sure. In this one, he kind of chooses to be alone. He's no, not... in this one, he's always with people. He just goes off on alone. I, like, uh, that's that's kind of what I meant. Yeah. When he goes off on his own journeys, he like chooses to be alone because the people aren't like helping him or-, or That's or, the thing. Like, like you, you can't choose to be alone and then talk to yourself. It's yeah. like you have to- be forced to be alone and then it makes sense that you're talking about yourself because you don't want talk to yourself because you don't want to be alone yeah and the first one is just so much more justified and this one he's just talking to himself because uh, the screenwriter well, it's, needed to like yeah, it's, it's, draw connections to the first movie it's a sequel and you know what i think it is too is because i've been watching some like behind the scenes footage on it and stuff and you know when they make that first die hard you got to remember that bruce willis is coming off like a tv career so he's not like a big action star yet and a lot of people you know there were rumors like when they showed the trailer for the first die hard people in the theater like laughed at the idea of bruce willis kind of being this person or whatever mm -hmm. um but i think from the direction and from um, really the editing they were able to really make this great movie but with the second one they already know the success of the first Die Hard so when you watch this behind the scenes footage the only difference is that you know because John McTiernan doesn't return because he's busy doing the hunt for Red October even though he wanted to return for it uh, but the difference is, is now Bruce Willis is sitting in the directing chair and Rennie Harlan's kind of over his shoulder and they're watching like you know dailies of Bruce getting shot at or like his face isn't on camera and he's like uh, maybe I could add like a funny line here, like, you know, like, oh, fucking Christmas again. And this is where we get all the ADR. Yeah, and I think that this, that encapsulates, like that BTS footage encapsulates like what this movie is, which is everyone knows what was successful about the first one and they're kind of doubling down on it, but they're not, they're, they they're not being humble it. about it. Yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like they're committing to it, but they could just be a little bit more humble. And that's why instead of maybe like two quotes that reference the first movie, there's like five, Yeah, <laughs> you know? So who was, uh, what was the director's name? Rennie Harlan. So what did he do before this? Was he just a puppet that Bruce could use or was he like an actual action director? Well, it actually makes sense why there are so many like one-liners or quotes because what Rennie Harlan does before this in 1988 is uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 4. Oh God. <laughs> no, which is one of the, the not great ones. That's where it starts to get a little bit more comical and a little bit more cartoonish. And they just let Robert Englund, is it Robert Englund? Yeah. They just let him do all his own one-liners? Oh, yeah. yeah. So oh, that yeah. he's like, yeah, we just need you to come over on this this movie now and just let Bruce do all his own one-liners. Yeah, and like keep in mind like, you know, for even though we have problems with like the one-liners and the quotes, it's still like a well-directed movie. Like I think that the action is directed well to a certain extent and you know, you kind of have to move the camera a lot when we're not spending so much time on like an isolated situation which is robbers taking over a tower or a building. With this one, they're taking over an airport, but they're also doing more things. They have like, you know, they're trying to- They've got a multi-part plan. They got a multi-part plan. So it's like, all right, we got to just get through all these steps of the plan. <laughs> so yeah, so I mean, it, it's it's directed well. I just think that the difference between like John McTiernan when he's doing the first Die Hard is he's probably being a little bit like, eh, that's enough jokes. Yeah, it's like, we, we gotta get serious. We gotta know? get serious. We gotta have serious moments about that. And they still try to do some of the serious moments in this one when, 
you know, the whole plane of the innocent people gets blown up and then, you know, John's crying in the snow mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But they man, really hit the extremes. There are a lot of one liners to the point where I think one of my favorite ones is when he is getting the reporter's helicopter uh, for like the final battle to get on the plane. And uh, the Samantha Coleman is the reporter's name. And she's like, Jeez, you give me this story and I'll have your baby. That's the kind of ride I'm looking for. <laughs> kind of coming up. So, you know, there's an ongoing theme with these sequels, which is doubling down, taking the characters we know and really leaning into those tropes that we recognize with them. Um, you can see that in Die Hard 2. I wasn't upset with it. I think you see it the most on the plane with Holly and with that reporter Dick. Well, what it really boils, right? yeah, what it really boils down to for me is like you said it boils down to those quotes for you, right? Yeah. Which is like the references to the first movie. Yeah. What it boils down to for me is the setup on the plane. And the first one, the setup on the plane is the guy tells him to take his shoes off when he lands, mm-hmm. feel the carpet beneath his feet, and then because of events outside of his control, he can't put his shoes back on, so he spends the entire first movie barefoot. Yeah. And this one, the setup is for a taser, which Holly uses to tase Dick at the end yeah. for a joke. Yeah. And it's like, that's essentially what it boils down to for me, is the first one was thought out, it had setup that paid off. Yeah. And this one, the setup is a joke. And, and it's and- like... That's good, but it's hollow well, to an extent. They, they do the same thing with that reporter Dick because it's like... They just double down on his character. Yeah, yeah. The whole, his whole thing in the first one was kind of ruining the secrets that were inside the tower, which is, you know, Holly's married to, to John McClane. Yeah. This one, it's like we just need him to, to cause ruckus again or to spoil something. So he just reports the... He does the report from the plane, then everyone in the airport's freaking out, and then, yeah, like you said, Holly tases him. So... If I had to like remove one part of the movie, I'd probably take out that part because it's really not necessary. That part doesn't do anything. It's it's it, it's really just a we're gonna copy the. It's not even the B plot. It's like the C plot. Yeah. We're gonna copy the C plot from the first one and just you know put it in and hope no one notices. I actually like how much Holly is in the movie in this sequel. I know, but she's not doing anything new. She's, she's just not doing, doing what she did in the new. first one. But I I like the fact that at least with this the second one because as they continue the Die Hard franchise, he's gonna always have family problems. Like not well spoilers, but in the third one, uh, him and Holly are divorced, mm-hmm. right? And it's like in the first one they're trying to get back together so there's that kind of struggle with it in the second one it's more like no they love each other there's just this incident that's stopping them from kind of spending christmas together mm-hmm. i think more movies rely heavily on like the there's a problem within the relationship so i like the fact that he's like he loves her and that you know there's no there's no really like personal internal conflict it's really all external it's really just the bad guys. You can have internal conflict as long as you keep it simple if it's an action movie. Yeah. Which I think the first one did really well, where it's there is internal conflict, but it takes a backseat to the action. Yeah. This one, there is no internal conflict, which I think makes it look kind of shallow. Yeah. But well, you, you brought up a really good point with that callback of the shoes on the plane. There's actually only one callback in this movie that I think is clever, and it's when uh, Samantha Coleman, once again, is trying to like interview the colonel. And she goes, do you have like a quote that you can give me? He's like, yeah, two words, fuck and you. Yeah. Right? And then later when she's in the elevator with John McClane, she goes, how about a quote? And he goes, I got one for you, fuck and off. And she goes, oh, well, you know, you'll, you'll get along with the colonel. And then that's when he goes, oh, the colonel. Right? So he knows the colonel's in the airport and then all this shit kind of starts going down. And then when she brings it up later, that's where he starts connecting the dots. So 
in a movie where there's not a lot of clever callbacks as much as the first one, that was the only one where I was like, oh, okay. At least now John has like an actual, as far as how he's getting the information. That was all right. It sounded yeah. more like they just needed to like get the information to him so that he could continue the plot. Oh yeah, absolutely. Whatever. So so speaking of the Colonel, and now we can kind of go back to talking about the Colonel. He's our, he's our villain, right? <laughs> he's death from uh, villain Ted. And uh, you know, when we meet him, he's doing like yoga karate and he's naked in his hotel. And you know, it's like, how do you, how do you, what do you think of this villain? You know, he's no Hans Gruber, obviously, but he's not that good. Well, what I think what they did instead was, instead of making an interesting villain, they made an interesting attack, right? Yeah. And that's what they replaced with. Because the whole thing in the first Die Hard is that you expect them to be these like terrorists. Mm-hmm. It's like you guys are just bank robbers, or you guys are just like robbers or thieves or something like that. But then with this one, it's like, all right, well, we don't have an interesting villain. So let's like make him naked in the first opening shot. And then let's just have him like take over every plane and then like crash a plane into the ground and kind of stuff like that. So they raise the stakes with the with the threat. They raise the stakes in the action, but not in like who he is. He's not exactly threatening. Yeah. Right. Because that's the thing is like with money, you have clear motivation. And then with the bonds or the stocks or whatever that they were trying to steal in the first one you have like a clever twist so it's like okay they're driven and they're smart in this one he's trying to free a i don't remember what the south he's a he's a some some south american country yeah but he's like a cocaine dealer because samantha coleman's like the war on cocaine or the or the battle for cocaine well he's like he's like a he's like a south american despot that was like a big proponent of Mm -hmm. like he's like pro-drugs because it makes me money. And then he got deposed, and then he's getting flown to American prison? Kind of like Conair. Okay, kind of like He's getting Conair. flown to his prison. Exactly, and then they try to get him out when they land or when they touch down uh, on American soil. Yeah. And I don't really know what the colonel's motivation to do that is. Just, I, I guess just, I is mean. Is it money? I, can, I think it's just loyalty and rank, right? Like Loyalty he's just, to who? To him, to the to the drug guy. He's a guy. South American despot. He, uh, how would he know him? They never, yeah, they never go into like why is this relationship a relationship? Yeah. Right? <laughs> but it's just kind of like these are just kind of rogue ex-military guys that are probably, like you said, just well, doing it for money or just doing it for you know whatever reasons. Who's the guy in charge of the military unit that goes there, the army unit? Oh, you're talking about the guy who is from uh, Coming to America. Yeah. Who ends up being like another bad guy. Or yeah, another. I feel like they know each other through him because yeah. I feel like the ex, the military guy, who's not the colonel, well, they mm-hmm. knew each other through the military. The colonel and, I don't know what we call this yeah, guy, yeah, like yeah. the fucking corporal or something. I don't the, we'll call him Switcheroo because yes. he's the guy that does the old Switcheroo. Yeah, he does. The third he, he, the, he betrays him, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the colonel and Switcheroo yeah. They like, I feel like Switcheroo knows the despot better than the colonel does. Okay. And the colonel is just the guy with the idea. Okay. But that, that's just like the feeling I got. I don't know. I don't know. I would like to see maybe like a spinoff prequel, of like where they were before the events of Die Hard 2, <laughs> where they were like, you know, they're, you know, you cut to like their mansion and they're counting dollars and doing cocaine. And then... Well, that's what you could do back then is you could just use buzzwords like drug war and like everyone knows what it is because yeah. it's part of the zeitgeist. And now we're like drug war and we're like, what's that? It's like, was that when they used to like, you know, arrest people for marijuana? Well, it just doesn't feel like the bad guys fit together. So like even with Hans and his guys in the first one, they all have a German accent. Yeah, exactly. And that's very like... Well, yeah, they're they're all European. (laughs) Yeah, they're all European. Yeah. (laughs) So it's like, you know... In this one, the whole point is that ex-American military is helping this South African dictator out of prison 
but he's got his own people with him, but all of his own people want him dead because he's a despot. And it's like, it's it's hard to figure, if you're not John McClane or a cop, it's hard to figure out where you factor into the plot, honestly. Sure. Yeah. And it, there was one part of their plan that was kind of uh, not thought out because they had all this whole thing thought out where they're going to hijack the airport. But when you cut to the drug lord who's on the plane, there's one guard guarding him in the back. He asked for him to light his cigar. And then when you cut back to him, he's like choking the guard. Yeah. But then he still had to take over the plane. Then we saw that. I, I know, but like that was part of the plan. So the, oh, the plan yeah. was very reliant on the main guy that they're rescuing breaking himself out. That's right. Because the dictator was on a plane with three guys who wanted him. He was there with no allies. It wasn't even guys. It was one guard. And then it was two, two pilots. pilots. Yeah. But that's the thing is all three of those people were like, none of them were in men. None of them were his men. So he had to, this dictator, hypothetically, would have had to overpower these three people. Yeah, this like 56-year-old man. Yeah. And I don't even know how he got that guard like in that position to kind of like choke him. He, he got him close. Whatever. Yeah. But so for the most part, I think it's, I, I think it would always be unfair to try to compare Hans Gruber to anybody because what's different about this sequel than other sequels that we've done is Die Hard is like a really classic film. Mm -hmm. Like I'm trying to think of what other movies we do on this action sequel list that's gonna be like, not just a good action movie, but like- A staple. Like a staple yeah. kind of film. And I don't know if we really have one. Cause- We the, might not have one. All the other films are like really good films and they contribute stuff like, you know, to like the history of film. But Die Hard is like a universal, like everybody in there, everybody's seen Die Hard. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just keep that in mind, like when we're comparing and contrasting. Well, Die Hard's one of the few action movies where it's like, if you haven't seen it, you should. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Oh, it, for sure. Because there's so, you know. It gets you like into action movies. Exactly. I think, if you like that, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Side characters. <laughs> well, you know, another side character that they bring back from the first one is. Uh, Reginald Vell Johnson. He's in for one scene, though. I know, but they, they literally. He's called Family Matters. Family, they cut to Family Matters. Yeah. And what really annoyed me about that scene, and we were talking about during the movie, is that. They cut to fam It was an ad for faxing. <laughs> that. But they cut to Family Matters and he's eating a Twinkie. Yeah. And he's like shoving a Twinkie in his mouth. But the whole thing about the first Die Hard when he's picking up the Twinkies and then the, the clerk looks at him funny. He goes, hey man, give me a break. My, my wife is pregnant. And you were like, well, maybe he was lying in the first one and actually he's just a fat ass. Yeah. <laughs> we never see his pregnant wife, right? I know, but I like it being true because it's it's like putting a cliche cop trope at mm -hmm. the beginning of like meeting that character. And then you switch it. And then you switch it. Whereas in then the second one, it's almost like the director- We got the fat cop eating Twinkies. Yeah. It's like, of course we do. It's like he didn't even see the first Die Hard where <laughs> Family Matters brought up on set. He's like, you know that my character doesn't like- Eat he's Twinkies. Not, he's it's, not a, it's for his wife. It's for his wife. He's like, no, no, no. He's, he was like eating a- Twinkie. You eat Twinkies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, take that Twinkie out of your mouth and grab a pencil, will you? And then just to go back to those other side characters, Argyle and Marvin, I prefer Argyle because oh, sure. he's definitely like not aware of what's going on and there's some good scenes where you cut to him like dancing in the car or dancing in the limo while like, you know, they're getting shot up in the building. Whereas in Marvin, he's just like there for the plot. Yeah. He's really like whatever John McClane needs. Argyle's uh, got more of a voice and he's got more of his own like contained arc yeah where doesn't he like stop some of the terrorists from escaping at the end of the first one yeah he ends up like crashing the limo into yeah. some of the the robbers or whatever and he like punches them in the face yeah of the car. He's, he's like self uh he, he can do things on his own yeah whereas, whereas marvin finds like a dead body and then he 
takes the jacket and then he's able to he's like a MacGuffin guy kind like of he's yeah. always got like the thing that John McClane needs to go to yeah that's the scene. thing it's like, it's like Argyle's there almost like separate of the plot yeah. just as like a side, like a B plot or like a C plot whereas Marvin is like the main instigator of the main plot which well, sucks because it just gives him a bunch of exposition to say and yeah. a bunch of like boring stuff to do well Argyle is our he's like the audience he's like kind he of, keeps yeah. the film grounded because yeah. we're always cutting back to like his reality whereas in Marvin's always like what do you need now uh-huh. and to the point where he literally picks them up in like the golf cart at yeah. the end of it and drives them away um but I don't know. I feel like we talked a lot about this movie. I mean, obviously, there's some good stuff in it. There's some stuff that they kind of went over the top with. But I think we can get into the ranking of it if you want to. Sure. That was really, you know, the challenge for us was to see whether or not we could we could match or top what we did in this in this huge, huge action film called, you know, Die Hard. And I think we've, we've you know, surpassed that. So as always on this uh, show, we ask three questions that lead to a final vote of is it worth going back again? And the first question is... Does it work as a sequel? And you can kind of start it off if you want to. It doesn't fail as a sequel. So I think I have to give this a check. Um, the I don't know. The one-liners are bad for the most part. Mm-hmm. There are some good ones. But for the most part, they're bad. The side characters are bad. But I don't know. You watch Die Hard for like McLean. Yeah. And I feel like he was okay in this. He's not the John McClane from the first one, and I kind of wanted to see a little bit more of that. Mm-hmm. But this is definitely still in the wheelhouse. I feel like the screenwriter had enough of McClane's voice in this to keep it consistent and to keep it to keep his character specifically good. Yeah. The side characters are lackluster, the villain is lackluster, but McClane and the action, I think, are still pretty where they need to be. Um uh, <laughs> I feel bad about giving it a check, if I'm yeah. being completely honest. But I, I, I do think I do think it checks the boxes. Where it's like I watch it and objectively I know it's a good sequel, but I wouldn't like I don't want to watch this every Christmas like I watched the first one. Yeah. So it, there's just something lacking, and I think we've done a decent job talking about what specifically is lacking. So I'm yeah. not going to repeat it, but there's just it, it's not all there. I, I think you feel bad about giving it a check which is the same reason. I'm going to give it a check as well. But I feel like we feel bad giving it a check because it's so obvious that this is just the first movie done again, right? Yeah. In a sense, as far as side characters go and as far as what is the situation. The reason why that isn't a detriment to the movie is because, I think, of the bigger world. So like with a lot of these sequels, what we want is kind of a continuation of, of these characters mm-hmm. and stuff, but we want kind of a bigger world. And really, when they start doing that airplane stuff... Like, I don't care about the villains, but as far as what they're doing, I think is pretty interesting. Yeah, you could tell the yeah. screenwriter was like, we need higher stakes. And they didn't do that by amplifying the villain. They yeah. did that by amplifying the location and the, I don't know, the play out of events that lead to, I would say, your second act. So let's say this. Let's say it works as a sequel because it doesn't ruin the first movie. <laughs> that's that's right? a very that's a very kind of pessimistic way of going about right? it, but Be- yeah, because a lot of these like you look at Too Fast and Furious. This is the most passable, successful sequel I think yeah. that we'll do on this list. Yeah, like I mean, if you look at like uh, Lethal Weapon Two, that works as a sequel because it continues the characters. But that's the it thing continues is- the arc. You look at Too Fast, Too Furious, it doesn't continue the story. With this one, they give you another entertaining story. They continue John McClane a little bit. Mm-hmm. All the other side characters are kind of brought down. So it works as a sequel, but maybe barely. All right, so that sounds like it's going to be 
two checks for that one. So let's move on to the second question, which is going to be, is it enjoyable slash entertaining? And you can start off this one again if you want. Oh boy. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say yes. Okay. Yeah, it, it is. It's, it's again, just barely. Uh, I don't, uh, I wish we had a better way of doing this. That wasn't like a yes or a no. But if we're going to just go based off of was it more enjoyable than not enjoyable, I'm going to say yeah, just yeah. barely though. And it's mostly because of Bruce Willis. Yeah, well, it's mostly because of what you expect. Bruce Willis and the stakes. Yeah, what you expect from Die Hard. Yeah. Right? So I, I Because Bruce Willis and the <laughs> yeah. stakes. I, I also think it's enjoyable slash entertaining. I think that there were more opportunities for it to be boring in this movie. Like there could have been more scenes where it kind of drags on a little bit mm -hmm. and stuff like that. When things aren't streamlined, you have that risk. Yeah, and it's always the scenes where we have to like kind of talk about what we're gonna do next. Like I think a little bit about um, where they're gonna go to try, where the bad actor and Bruce Willis are gonna go try to initiate that second antenna, mm -hmm. right? And it turns into like, you know, a big shootout. It's a setup, yeah. It's a setup, it, it's, they, it, it's on purpose. Like they, the bad guys expect them to go there because they're gonna kind of shoot it out. And then there's like, you know, the conveyor belt scene and stuff. So there are like filler scenes that in... squished. Yeah. <laughs> but not really. So there are like filler scenes that in a generic action movie probably would stick out more. But because this is Die Hard, you're like, you, you think it's more intricate, mm -hmm. right? You think it's like, you know, oh, well, yeah, well, naturally. You have the first is... movie to go based off of. Yeah. You, you, you naturally expect these kind of big kind of set pieces to play out or whatever. The, well, the difference is like the villain. Mm -hmm. Right, because even when you're not with Bruce Willis, you are entertained by Alan Rickman yeah. in the first one, mm -hmm. and also that reveal that they're just well, and robbers. That, that, that and the dynamic between Alan Rickman and Holly, Absolutely, because yeah. he's got a secret to keep and he's looking for the answer. And then there's like the cheesy like other coworker that's trying to like do business with Alan Rickman yeah. and stuff. So there's 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 even the flawed characters were more engaging. Yeah, what makes that first one entertaining outside of the action and the stakes are those slow scenes where people are talking and it's a little bit more emotional like when Bruce Willis is in the bathroom wrapping his bloody feet so there were never any scenes like that in the sequel it's very fast-paced mm -hmm. and even when we have moments where we're kind of talking about stuff it's really about well what do we do next what's the next kind of plan like a lot I think of a lot of scenes with Marvin and I think a lot of the scenes with a bad actor who's trying to fit if we channel the radios we can talk to the to the pilots and then they'll yeah. never know what's happened so damn the outer marker. It's a beacon, right? A radio beacon that sends out this beep, 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 so they know they're over it, right? So you like the human screenwriter who's just like, yeah. how are we, how, how are we gonna get out of this one? Well, let me think, the screenwriter. Yeah, it's like he was feeding him those lines on the exactly. Day. Like yeah. the writer the himself was, was like, like, here's what we gotta do next. Here's what we gotta do. <laughs> here's what we gotta do next. So I, I think that's gonna be another two checks again for his enjoyable slash entertaining. So the last question is gonna be, does it need to exist? And I will start this one off and I will say no. I'm just going to jump right in and yeah, say no too. It does not need to exist. And I don't have a problem with it existing. It's obvious why it exists. But this is one that of the franchise more... franchise money. Yeah, yeah. But this is one of the more rare movies where the original is such a staple and it's also such a classic film. If the first were lesser, then yes, yeah. maybe. But the thing is, the first one's so good and the sequel's so meh. I just don't know if you could ever make a sequel to a movie like Die Hard and live up to Die Hard. That's why I felt about The Raid. That's fair. So I feel, fair. I feel the same about both movies. But I also don't want to hold that against the sequel at the same time because there are really good standalone movies that have a sequel that are still good sequels. And that are also still good standalone movies on their own, right? Sure. So I don't want to 
like, you know, make it tied to that, but yeah, it doesn't need to exist. Like you only need that first Die Hard. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And and I, I like all the Die Hard sequels except for the last one, which is garbage. I, it, it just, it doesn't need to exist. I think it works as a sequel for what they did. I think it's enjoyable slash entertaining to a certain extent, but yeah, you, I, this doesn't need to exist. So if you're doing that math at home, that's gonna be four checks and two X's. So it's gonna get one giant check for worth going back again. And yeah, so that's a, uh, it, it's, it's, it's gonna get the check and it's worth watching and stuff. But if you have Die Hard, just watch Die Hard instead. Sure, yeah. Because, you know, it's Christmas and that's... You can, Die Hard is probably one of the few movies, I don't want to jinx it, but I could I could rewatch that every year until the day I died. Oh, I could do Elf and Die Hard back I can't to do Elf anymore. <laughs> I'm done with Elf. But Die Hard and yeah. Gremlins. Is what you expected? No. This is just the beginning. On July 4th, Die Harder. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to our Christmas episode of the Back Again Podcast. As always, make sure you like, subscribe, and that you comment below. If you like this episode, make sure you check out our other episodes of Season 1 and 2 of the Back Again Podcast, as well as our four-episode miniseries of Reboot Review. We are uh, continuing on our action sequel list right now, so stay tuned for next week to see which action sequel we do next. And outside of that, everyone, make sure you have a happy holidays, stay safe, and we will see you next week, here again, back again, on the Back Again Podcast. Thank you.